Hey there. In this episode, I read chapter five, Solitude, where Henry talks about um, what it's like to be alone, yet not be alone. And in this age of COVID um, and all of the restrictions about social distancing, it's still relevant to today. I also think it's hysterical that he's writing this all by himself about being alone completely by himself. And yet Walden is this phenomena that has connected him to thousands and probably millions of people um, throughout the world over time. Give a listen. Chapter 5. Solitude. This is a delicious evening when the whole body is one sense and imbibes delight through every pore. I go and come with a strange liberty in nature, a part of herself. As I walk along the stony shore of the pond in my shirt sleeves, though it is cool as well, as cloudy and windy, and I see nothing special to attract me, all the elements are unusually congenial to me. The bullfrogs trump to usher in the night, and the note of the whippoorwill is borne on the rippling wind from over the water. Sympathy with the fluttering alder and poplar leaves almost takes away my breath. Yet, like the lake, my serenity is rippled but not ruffled. These small waves raised by the evening wind are as remote from storm as the smooth reflecting surface. Though it is now dark, the wind still blows and roars in the wood, the waves still dash, and some creatures lull the rest with their notes. The repose is never complete. The wildest animals do not repose, but seek their prey now. The fox and skunk and rabbit now roam the fields and woods without fear. They are nature's watchmen, links which connect the days of animated life. When I return to my house, I find that visitors have been there and left their cards, either a bunch of flowers or a wreath of evergreen or a name in pencil on a yellow walnut leaf or a chip. They who come rarely to the woods take some little piece of the forest into their hands to play with, by the way, which they leave, either intentionally or accidentally. One has peeled a willow wand, woven it into a ring, and dropped it on my table. I could always tell if visitors had called in my absence, either by the bended twigs or grass, or the print of their shoes, and generally of what sex or age or quality they were, by some slight trace left, as a flower dropped or a bunch of grass plucked and thrown away, even as far off as the railroad, half a mile distant, or by the lingering odor of a cigar or pipe. Nay, I was frequently notified of the passenger of the passage of a traveler along the highway sixty rods off by the scent of his pipe. There is commonly sufficient space about us. Our horizon is never quite at our elbows. The thick wood is not just at our door, nor the pond, but somewhat is always clearing, familiar, and worn by us, appropriated and fenced in some way, and reclaimed from nature. For what reason have I this vast range and circuit, some square miles of unfrequented forest, for my privacy abandoned to me by men? My nearest neighbor is a mile distant, and no house is visible from any place but the hilltops within half a mile of my own. I have my horizon bounded by woods all to myself, a distant view of the railroad where it touches the pond on the one hand and of the fence which skirts the woodland road on the other. 
but for the most part, it is as solitary where I live as on the prairies. It is as much Asia or Africa as New England. I have, as it were, my own sun and moon and stars, and a little world all to myself. At night, there was never a traveler passed my house or knocked at my door, more than if I were the first or last man, unless it were in the spring, when at long intervals some came from the village to fish for pouts, and they plainly, they plainly fished much more in the Walden Pond of their own natures, and baited their hooks with darkness. But they soon retreated, usually with light baskets, and left the world to darkness and to me. And the black kernel of the night was never profaned by any human neighborhood. I believe that men are generally still a little afraid of the dark, though the witches are all hung and Christianity and candles have been introduced. Yet I experience sometimes that the most sweet and tender, the most innocent and encouraging society, may be found in any natural object, even for the poor misanthrope and most melancholy man. There can be no black, no very black melancholy to him who lives in the midst of nature and has his senses still. There was never yet such a storm, but it was aeolian music to a healthy and innocent ear. Nothing can rightly compel a simple and brave man to a vulgar sadness. While I enjoy the friendship of the seasons, I trust that nothing can make life a burden to me. A gentle rain which waters my beans and keeps me in the house today is not drear and melancholy, but good for me too. Though it prevents my hoeing them, it is of far more worth than my hoeing. If it should continue so long as to cause the seeds to rot in the ground and destroy the potatoes in the lowlands, it would still be good for the grass on the uplands. And being good for the grass, it would be good for me. Sometimes, when I compare myself with other men, it seems as if I were more favored by the gods than they, beyond any deserts that I am conscious of, as if I had a warrant and surety at their hands which my fellows have not, and were especially guided and guarded. I do not flatter myself, but if it be possible, they flatter me. I have never felt lonesome, or in the least oppressed by a sense of solitude. But once, and that was a few weeks after I came to the woods, when for an hour I doubted if the near neighborhood of man was not essential to a serene and healthy life. To be alone was something unpleasant. But I was at the same time conscious of a slight insanity in my, my mood and seemed to foresee my recovery. In the midst of a gentle rain while these thoughts prevailed, I was suddenly sensible of such sweet and beneficent and beneficent society in nature in the very pattering of the drops and in every sound and sight around my house, an infinite and unaccountable friendliness all at once like an atmosphere sustaining me as made the fancy advantages of a human neighborhood insignificant. And I have never thought of them since every little pine needle expanded and swelled with sympathy and befriended me. I was so distinctly made aware of the presence of something kindred to me, even in scenes which we are accustomed to call wild and dreary, and also that the nearest of blood to me and humanist was not a person or a villager, that I thought no place could ever be strange to me again. Morning, untimely, consumes the sad. Few are their days in the land of the living. Beautiful daughter of Toscar. 
Some of my pleasantest hours were during the long rainstorms in the spring or fall, which confined me to the house for the afternoon, as well as the forenoon, soothed by their ceaseless roar and pelting, when an early twilight ushered in a long evening in which many thoughts had time to take root and unfold themselves. In those driving northeast rains which tried the village houses so, when the maids stood ready with mop and pail and front entries to keep the deluge out, I sat behind my door in my little house, which was all entry, and thoroughly enjoyed its protection. In one heavy thunder shower, the lightning struck a, a large pitch pine across the pond, making a very conspicuous and perfectly regular spiral groove from top to bottom, an inch or more deep, and four or five inches wide, as you would groove a walking stick. I passed it again the other day, and was struck with awe on looking up and beholding that mark, now more distinct than ever, where a terrific and resistless bolt came down out of the harmless sky eight years ago. Men frequently say to me, I should think you would feel lonesome down there and want to be nearer to folks, rainy and snowy nights and days and nights especially. I am tempted to reply to such, this whole earth which we inhabit is but a point in space. How far apart, think you, dwell the two most distant inhabitants of yonder star, the breath of whose disk cannot be appreciated by our instruments? Why should I feel lonely? Is not our planet in the Milky Way? This which you put seems to me not to be the most important question. What sort of space is that which separates a man from his fellows and makes him solitary? I have found that no exertion of the legs can bring two minds much nearer to one another. What do we most want to dwell near to? Not to many men, surely. The depot, the post office, the bar room, the meeting house, the schoolhouse, the grocery, Beacon Hill or the Five Points, where men most congregate, but to the perennial source of our life. Whence in all our experience, we have found that to issue as the willow stands near the water and sends out its roots at that direction. This will vary with different natures, but this is the place where a wise man will dig his cellar. I one evening overtook one of my townsmen, who has accumulated what is called a handsome property, though I never got a fair view of it, on the Walden Road, driving a pair of cattle to market, who inquired of me how I could bring my mind to give up so many of the comforts of life. I answered that I was very sure I liked it passably well. I was not joking. And so I went home to my bed and left him to pick his way through the darkness and the mud to Brighton, or Bright Town, which place he could reach some time in the morning. Any prospect of awakening or coming to life to a dead man makes indifferent all times and places. The place where that may occur is always the same and indescribably pleasant to all our senses. For the most part, we allow only outlying and transient circumstances to make our occasions. They are, in fact, the cause of our distraction. Nearest to all things is that power which fashions their being. Next to us, the grandest laws are continually being executed. Next to us is not the workman whom we have hired, with whom we love so well to talk, but the workman whose work we are. How vast and profound is the influence of the subtle powers of heaven and of earth. We seek to perceive them, and we do not see them. We seek to hear them, and we do not hear them. 
identified with the substance of things, they cannot be separated from them. They cause that in all the universe men purify and sanctify their hearts and clothe themselves in their holiday garments to offer sacrifices and oblations to their ancestors. It is an ocean of subtle intelligences. They are everywhere, above us, on our left, on our right. They environ us on all sides. We are the subjects of an experiment which is not a little interesting to me. Can we not do without the society of our gossips a little while under these circumstances? Have our own thoughts to cheer us? Confucius says truly, virtue does not remain as an, an abandoned orphan. It must of necessity have neighbors. With thinking we may be beside ourselves in, in a sane sense. By a conscious effort of the mind, we can stand aloof from actions and their consequences. And all things, good and bad, go by us like a torrent. We are not wholly involved in nature. And I may be either the driftwood in the stream or Indra in the sky looking down on it. I may be affected by a theatrical ex exhibition. On the other hand, I may not be affected by an actual event which appears to concern me much more. I only know myself as a human entity, the scene, so to speak, of thoughts and affections. And I'm sensible of a certain doubleness by which I can stand as remote from myself as from another. However intense my experience, I am conscious of the presence of and criticism of a part of me, which, as it were, is not a part of me, but spectator, sharing no experience, but taking note of it. And that is no more I than it is you. When the play, maybe a tragedy, of life is over, the spectator goes his way. It was a kind of fiction, a work of the imagination only, as far as he was concerned. This doubleness may easily make us poor neighbors and friends sometimes. I find it wholesome to be alone the greater part of the time. To be in company, even with the best, is soon wearisome and dissipating. I love to be alone. I never found the companion that was so companionable as solitude. We are, for the most part, more lonely when we go abroad among men than when we stay in our chambers. A man thinking or working is always alone. Let him be where he will. Solitude is not measured by the miles of space that intervene between a man and his fellows. The really diligent student is one in one of the crowded hives of Cambridge College is as solitary as a dervish in the desert. The farmer can work alone in the field or the woods all day, hoeing or chopping, and not feel lonesome because he is employed. But when he comes home at night, he cannot sit down in a room alone at the mercy of his thoughts, but must be where he can see the folks and recreate, and as he thinks, remunerate, remunerate himself for his day's solitude. And hence he wonders how the student can sit alone in the house all night and most of the day without ennui and the blues. But he does not realize that the student, though in the house, is still at work in his field and chopping in his woods as the farmer in his, and in turn seeks the same recreation and society that the latter does, though it may be a more condensed form of it. Society is commonly too cheap. We meet at very short intervals, not having had time to acquire any new value for each other. We meet at meals three times a day and give each other a new taste of that old musty cheese that we are. 
We have to agree on a certain set of rules called etiquettes and politeness to make this frequent meeting tolerable and that we need not come to open war. We meet at the post office and at the sociable and about the fireside every night. We live thick and we are in each other's way and stumble over one another. And I think that we thus lose some respect for one another. Certainly less frequency would suffice for all important and hearty communications. Consider the girls in a factory, never alone, hardly in their dreams. It would be better if there were but one inhabitant to a square mile as where I live. The value of a man is not in his skin that we should touch him. I have heard of a man lost in the woods and dying of famine and exhaustion at the foot of a tree, whose loneliness was relieved by the grotesque visions with which, owing to a bodily weakness, his diseased imagination surrounded him and which he believed to be real. So also, owing to bodily and mental health and strength, we may be continually cheered by a like but more normal and natural society and come to know that we are never alone. I have a great deal of company in my house especially in the morning when nobody calls. Let me suggest a few comparisons that someone may convey an idea of my situation. I am no more lonely than the loon in the pond that laughs so loud or than Walden Pond itself. What company has that lonely lake, I pray? And yet it has not the blue devils, but the blue angels in it, in the azure tint of its waters. The sun is alone, except in thick weather, when there sometimes appears to be two, but one is a mock sun. God is alone, but the devil, he is far from being alone. He sees a great deal of company. He is legion. I am no more lonely than a single mullion or dandelion in the pasture, or a bean leaf or sorrel or a horsefly, or a humble bee. I am no more lonely than the millbrook, or a weathercock, or the north star, or the south wind, or an April shower, or a January thaw, or the first spider in a new house. I have occasional visits in the long winter evenings, when the snow falls fast and the wind howls in the wood from an old setter and original proprietor who is reported to have dug Walden Pond and stoned it and fringed it with pine woods, who tells me stories of old time and of new eternity. And between us, we managed to pass a cheerful evening with social mirth and pleasant views of things, even without apples or cider. A most wise and humorous friend, whom I love much, who keeps himself more secret than ever did Goffa or Whaley. And though he is thought to be dead, none can show where he is buried. An elderly dame, too, dwells in my neighborhood, invisible to most persons, in whose odorous herb garden I love to stroll sometimes, gathering simples and listening to her fables, for she has a genius of unequaled fertility, and her memory runs back farther than mythology, and she can tell me the original of every fable, and on what fact every one is founded, for the incidents occurred when she was young." A ruddy and lusty old dame who delights in all weathers and seasons and is likely to outlive all her children yet. The indescribable innocence and beneficence of nature, of sun and wind and rain, of summer and winter, such health, such cheer they afford forever, and such sympathy have they ever with our race that all nature would be affected and the sun's brightness fade and the winds would sigh humanely 
and the clouds rain tears, and the woods shed their leaves and put on mourning in midsummer, if any man should ever for a just cause grieve. Shall I not have intelligence with the earth? Am I not partly leaves and vegetable mold myself? What is the pill which will keep us well, serene, contented? Not my or or thy great-grandfather's, but our great-grandmother nature's universal vegetable botanic medicines, by which she has kept herself young always, outlived so many old pars in her day, and fed her health with their decaying fatness. For my panacea, instead of one of those quick vials of a mixture dipped from Echeron and the Dead Sea, which come out of those long, shallow, black schooners, schooner-looking wagons, which we sometimes see made to carry bottles, let me have a drop of undiluted morning air. Morning air! If men will not drink of this at the fountainhead of the day, why then... We must even bottle up some and sell it in the shops for the benefit of those who have lost their subscription ticket to morning time in this world. But remember, it will not keep quite till noonday, even in the coolest cellar, but drive out the stopples long ere that and follow westward the ships of Aurora. I am no worshipper of Hygieia, who is the daughter of that old herb doctor Escalapius, and who is represented on monuments holding a serpent in one hand and in the other a cup out of which the serpent sometimes drinks, but rather of Hebe, cup-bearer to Jupiter, who was the daughter of Juno and wild lettuce, and who had the power of restoring gods and men to the vigor of youth. She was probably the only thoroughly sound-conditioned, healthy, and robust young lady that ever walked the globe, and wherever she came, it was spring. Hi there. So I've just read chapter five, Solitude, um, which, you know, I'm reading this in July of uh, 2021. And after the year of COVID, the ongoing years of COVID, of um, social distancing, and the whole idea of always remaining six feet away from somebody else, um, even though, at least in Massachusetts, people have been very good about masks and being very good about getting the vaccine. Um, so there's a whole um, idea of a bubble <laughs> um, around Massachusetts, or at least a lot of the people that I know that things have sort of felt like we're coming to an end with COVID, but um, the rest of the country and the rest of the world is experiencing a lot of issues about a resurgence and the Delta variant. Um, So there is also this whole other idea of, yes, solitude isn't so bad. And what do we really need to go back into society for? Um, And besides the few times that we actually do try to reenter society, sometimes it's a little awkward. Um, I will let you know that this is... I'm recording this a week or two after the Thoreau Society annual gathering. And I'm very pleased to report that it was online for the first time this year. Um, It had been canceled last year for the first time in um, 80 years. Um, It was established in 1940. And it's the oldest um, author society in America. 
um, and they were all ready to celebrate its 80th year last year. Um, but of course, we shut down in March, and um, we always have it on July, at, at least around July 12th, usually the week before. Um, I did a presentation, and I was actually very happy with it. Um, I'm a playwright, and I did um, I, I read a 20-minute piece that was describing the play that I wish I could have helped to create last year. Um, but it actually, I think, turned out better as a short story, and I could do a little bit more with the characters. Um, but again, it was, you know, do I do a play on Zoom? I, I haven't found um, that to be very effective, um, and I haven't really liked the ones that I've seen. So, you know, how do you really get actors together, even if they're outside, to, um, you know, to interact with an audience? And the play that I was envisioning had lots and lots of actors and performers, musicians, as well as audience members. Um, and, you know, again, I'm, I'm uh, for somebody who, who wants to be working in a very social medium like theater, I have essentially sublimated myself and my, my urges into things like this podcast. Um, and I and the Facebook group, Transcendentalists 2021, um, please go on Facebook and request to join. And please be sure to answer the questions because we don't let just anybody in. Um, and if they don't answer the questions, we assume that they are a bot. So, um, you know, and the questions are just like, who's your, you know, what's your favorite work, Transcendentalist work? Um, and as long as you type something in that sounds remotely, uh, remotely close, I will assume you are a human. Um, but I've been absolutely delighted by the friendships and relationships that I've developed and nurtured and created. And I never knew that there was a community of people um, sort of out there waiting to connect, especially over the transcendentalists. Um, and the transcendentalists aren't just, you know, Henry and Ralph Waldo Emerson and Louisa May Alcott and her father and, you know, the traditional people just have conquered. Um, but there's a lot of um, extension into abolitionists and reformers and women writers of the age. And, you know, we're going to be doing education and then we're going to be doing Native American voices. And so there are a lot of really amazing um, pieces of literature and writing specifically from the 1830s to like the 1860s, um, that actually has a lot of relevance to the politics of today. Um, but again, like I, for the past year or two, I have been, um, home, uh, taking care of my mother who was, um, who had cancer for the last year of her life. Um, and she passed away a few months ago. And so, Henry keeps talking about, you know, being alone in his house, you know, objectively, but he's really not alone. Um, and it's, I, I feel like there's this whole thing that maybe the world has been struggling with or um, not struggling with, but like, this is a theoretical thing that Henry comes up with in this chapter about like, what does it mean to be alone? And I love that he says that he was only really alone or lonely for an hour. Um, and then he realized that he had 
all of this life around him. And, you know, what is the difference between a farmer being out in a field and working and a student being in his cubicle at Cambridge working, you know, and then coming home to your family and yeah, you're, you're close to them or you need to see them. Like there's a, the human animal that needs to be social, but is it social um, in a physical sense? Is that what we crave or do we crave the more intellectual stimulation? Um, and, you know, I, I definitely, um, I definitely wanted to give like just a shout out to a listener friend who I met through Transcendentalist 2021, um, my listener friend, Robin, who had just casually mentioned on Facebook, she's like, well, um, or no, she, she, at, at one of their, our, uh, we have a weekly book discussion group as part of the Facebook group. And, you know, she said, oh, you know, Tammy, I'm, I'm listening to your podcast. So you better hurry up and do the next one. Cause I'm almost, I'm almost caught up with you. Um, and this is the 18th episode. So I'm number one, I'm, I'm happy to have, I'm happy to have listeners. I'm happy to be able to share this with people. Um, but again, I'm, I'm recording this all by myself and yet I'm feeling like I'm talking to people. I'm talking to you, whoever you are out there. Um, and I would love to connect with you over social media, Facebook, or, and I've also just created a website to sort of bring all of these different projects together. Um, because I'm, I'm doing a lot of different things. Conquered Days, the video series that I'm doing on YouTube, um, where I just do a Zoom conversation with somebody who's somehow related. Um, and that is another way of connecting. Um, you know, and I meet a lot of authors and people who work in museums and um, academics and, and people who teach transcendentalism. And we just have a really marvelous conversation. And that's a connection, even though we're not, we're not in the same room. Um, and again, like my friend Robin, she's several states away and I have not met her in person, but we have been um, doing this book discussion group since January. And I think the whole, the whole group has really come together um, as a, um, you know, as a, as a group of friends, um, where we discuss transcendentalism and we discuss other books that we're reading and we go off on tangents. Um, I'm not very good at keeping us on topic, but you know, I think that's actually part of the fun. Um, and so, yeah, like I, I completely relate to Henry when he's, you know, talking about, you know, what is, what is solitude? What is the difference between, being lonely, being by yourself, and connecting with the world around you. And it doesn't have to be people. It could be the bullfrogs and the whippoorwills. And, um, and in the end, I, you know, he's talking about what the old man and the old woman, and I think he's referring to God and Mother Nature. Um, and, you know, he's personifying them, but he's also completely aware that they're like the opposite of a person. Um, you know, this is, this is, I love some of these lines, but for the most part, it is a solitary where I live as on the prairies. 
It is as much Asia or Africa as New England. I have, as it were, my own sun and moon and stars and a little world all to myself. Um, at night, there is never a traveler passed my house or knocked at my door more than if I were the first or last man, unless it were in the spring, when at long intervals, some came from the village to fish for pouts. They plainly fished much more in the Walden Pond of their own natures and baited their hooks with darkness. But they soon retreated, usually with light baskets, and left the world to, to darkness and to me. Um, you know, people can, you know, it's, it's funny how, you know, in the end, we're all, we're all humans. We're all living on this earth. And, you know, like, like what is this Walden Pond of their own natures? You know, there's a there's a sort of a saying at the Walden Pond Visitor Center, find your own Walden or, you know, they have a giant map and it's very, there's this whole beautiful digital project where people can go in and say where they're from or they can identify a really beautiful place and mark it on a world map that, that shows on a giant screen at the Visitor Center. Um, and it's sort of like find your own Walden. Um, what does it mean to go out into the world, you know, whether you have a little cabin on the prairie or whether you have a um, house in the middle of town or an apartment in New York City? I have plenty of people, plenty of friends who, um, and I know of plenty of people who live in New York and they have their own little existence in an apartment or not that their existence is small, their apartment is small, because that's sort of the, it's a joke in New York, but it's also true. Um, I, I myself lived in a um, studio that was about the size of Henry's cabin um, and appreciated it and loved it for years. Um, you know, so you can do that. You can live your, your life all by yourself. And I think also as, you know, the older you grow... <laughs> There are fewer people that you really want to share your space with. You don't want to be tripping over each other. Um, one of the things that he doesn't really talk about in this book is that he had grown up with his family and he was one of four children. Um, and it was, you know, the four children, his parents, um, I think his aunt Mariah lived with them for a while. Um, she also, I think, had the, the boarding house that is now part of the Colonial Inn. Um, there's a room, Henry's room, um, and where he, where it was documented that he lived, but he, you know, was always living with his family and the family were always moving around, um, before they really got the pencil factory and they were kind of doing well and they could kind of buy their own house. Um, but before that, you know, he, when he talks about tripping over each other, like he means it, he, he understands what that is. Um, my own mother came from a family of, uh, of eight children um, and you know, she, I, when she showed me the house she grew up in, it felt very small, but you know, that's also, um, that's just how it is. And if you're a writer or if you're a person who wants, um, to spend a little bit more time in contemplation to try to find, you know, what it is to be alone and where you can listen to your own thoughts, um, that's kind of a, a challenge and, the idea of silence is its own other um, existence. Um, I was talking to a friend of mine and 
she said that she literally, so she's going through grief as well. And she literally has to use um, some kind of noise therapy, um, somebody called it, um, where she has to have uh, headphones on or the TV on or, you know, something playing all the time because she's afraid of her thoughts. Um, you know, and, and grief is grief is funny because it can take you to a lot of weird emotional places. And I think we all go through um, like there was one line in, in here that I, um, that I really disagreed with. Nothing can really compel a simple and brave man to, nothing can rightly compel a simple and brave man to a vulgar sadness. Um, and he's talking about being, being alone uh, in the woods. Uh, the line before is, there was never yet such a storm, but it was aeolian music to a healthy and innocent ear. Um, and I think that there are times in your life where um, having stimulation to distract you, um, you know, I don't really, <laughs> I don't really know what he means by a vulgar sadness um, or what his experience were, was with other people and um, how he explores that. But I, I, I can definitely understand the idea of... Um, uh, there are to- there can be times when you're alone with your thoughts and it does feel like you're being trapped or you get into this thing where you perseverate on a negative idea or, you know, like grief or sadness. And, you know, with COVID, I think it's brought up a lot of people's angst and has ite- I, um, intensified a lot of people's insecurities and negative strains and has brought them all or has brought a lot of us um, to really dark places Um, but I think it's a measure of our resilience of how we've tried to discover like not just coping mechanisms but how to learn things and how to um, do essentially what Henry's doing where like he's opening his ears to this amazing alien music um, of the things that are new um, also, I think he, he I, uh, like, this, this is a funny aside, when he's talking about the gentle rain which waters my beans um, and keeps me in the house is not drear and melancholy, but good for me too. Um, and though it prevents my hoeing them, it is far more worth than my hoeing. Um, I'm actually getting a, a, a CSA share, um, Community Supported Agriculture, um, where you pay a certain amount of money up front and then you get to um, receive vegetables from a farm, um, you know, every week for a couple of months. And so I'm doing that with the Walden Woods um, Associated Farm. And there's a farm that's sort of in the the woods on the other side of Walden, sort of at the 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 land is literally just off of Route 2. It's the, it's the exit before there's a, there's a, a, a gas station and then there's the farm itself. Um, and I've been, I've been sort of in that area, Fairhaven and stuff. Um, and so the farm is, is just beyond that. Um, and so I've been eating lettuce and Swiss chard and garlic, um, no beans yet. <laughs> well, no, actually, so green beans. Um, and, um, 
and sh- and sugar snap peas actually um so and it's it's been lovely um but most of this july has been full of rain i as a swimmer i can tell you that there have been fewer than 5 days of um sun of solid sun and when the rain comes it has been coming like a flood so they've talked about um how they literally can't plant the lettuce in the low lying ground um and they have to keep it they have to plant it on the higher ground um and they have to keep it watered which is really difficult um but he's but he's saying if it should continue so long as to cause the seeds to rot in the ground and destroy the potatoes in the lowlands it would still be good for the grass on the uplands and being good for the grass it would be good for me um but but it's funny when it's like if it if the rain is going to continue so long as to cause the, cause the seeds to rot in the ground and destroy the potatoes in the lowlands yeah that's what's happening this year um I think I think it's funny that there's a lot of stuff that he just sort of casually tops, you know, tosses off and I'm like, "Wait, that's happening now. That's a thing." Um and and just just to go back to Facebook for a minute, I think there have been a lot of discussions about um and there are plenty of other Facebook groups and in involving Henry or transcendentalists or mentions of of that. Um and I'm I'm myself um, I find it harder to deal with philosophy because it's so abstract, and I love latching on to very specific details. Um, because personally, I can sort of say, "Wait, this is this is Henry literally was talking about potatoes that would that wouldn't do well if they were drowned." Um, and you know, this is this is one of those things that's completely universal, but it's that's a that's such a tangible thing that it feels like it jumps out at me. Um, and I can, I can understand that. So I, I think, I kind of think it's funny that I, I relate to him more when he compares himself or a situation to a potato than when I find other philosophers saying marvelous things about life, but being so completely abstract, um, like Ralph Waldo Emerson. Um, like I think he's great, but I, I also think that it's harder for me to, understand him and relate to him because he doesn't use concrete details as much as Henry does. Um, I love that he says, I've never felt lonesome or in the least oppressed by a sense of solitude, but once, and that was a few weeks after I came to the woods when for an hour, I doubted if the near neighborhood of man was not essential to a serene and healthy life. Henry, we've been thinking about this throughout COVID for, you know, ever since March of 2020. To be alone was something unpleasant. Yeah, not necessarily. But I was the same time conscious of a slight insanity in my mood and seemed to foresee my recovery. Um, yeah, I, th- I think all of us are sort of like, oh my God, I miss going to parties. And now that we can go back to parties, we're all like, oh, but I miss having the excuse of COVID because I don't want to go to these parties. <laughs> uh, you know, and, and I love that he's thinking about this in the rain. Um and and this is also you know like i i love him for his idea of saying yeah so the the insanity in my mood when i'm thinking about how much i miss society and then literally within the same paragraph um 
you know, he's, he's talking about how his, his mind is shifting in the same paragraph. Every little pine needle expanded and swelled with sympathy and befriended me. I was so distinctly made aware of the presence of something kindred to me, even in the scenes which we are accustomed to call wild and dreary. And also the nearest of blood to me and humanist was not a person or villager that I thought no place would ever be strange to me again. Um, but you know, there's a part of me that, okay, so this is me, not him. Um, I, the line, every little pine needle expanded and swelled with sympathy and befriended me. I want somebody to draw a cartoon of that where Henry's like making friends with every single pine needle, you know, or like having the pine needles with faces or something like that. Cause I think that, you know, he talks about insanity when he's talking about missing society you know, or he's, he, th- he thinks that that piece is the insane piece, but it's actually, he comes, he, like, he doubles down into the whole, like, the pine needles are my friends. And I think he's exaggerating here for effect. Um, you know, and, and he's sort of going insane in the other direction. Um, but I think it's for a sincere thought, actually, you know, the, the whole idea of, um, like we are not alone on this earth if we don't have humans around us and like the like he has a lot of quotes um you know the the whole like i've never i've never had a companion as companionable as solitude like yes i get that i i totally get that and i think a lot of us understand that as well um i've i so you know, to back up, I have had friends, um, I work a lot in technology, and I've had friends who are so used to being around people that I had a friend who came to work and she was like, you know, I I can't stand being alone. She was living alone, but she, she needed the stimulation of other humans around her. And she said that she went out to a movie by herself and sat in the theater by herself but literally could not stay there and had to leave because she was just overly conscious of being alone by herself. And that was that like just so completely blew her mind, you know, and it wasn't like the sense of loneliness, but the sense of like, you know, and I can understand some people feel like, oh, you need to go to the movies with other people because it's a social thing. Um, But Again, like I, I'm a person who loves to travel by myself because I can make all of my own decisions. I love going to the movies by myself because if I don't like the movie, I can walk out and I don't have to worry about other people judging me or, you know, um, I don't have to worry about sharing a bag of popcorn or like all of these other things. There are plenty of reasons why we choose to live the lives that we do. Um, but I, you know, I think that, I think that being able to be to be alone with yourself is one thing. To be able to be alone with your thoughts is another. Um, to understand what it is to be out in society by yourself is a whole other thing. Um, so my my father died when I was young. And my parents had been together for, what, 15 years? Something like that. And it was very, very hard on my mother. And I was 11 when I noticed this. And, you know, as, and as much as I, you know, love and support all of my friends who are married or coupled, um, I knew at age 11 that, um, humans don't, 
live forever. And if you're relying on another human to be with you for the rest of your life, you know, whether it's friends or whether it's like this, you know, till death do us part type of companion, um, that you need to be able to live a life um, by yourself at some point to have some kind of independence. Um, and, you know, and even within a marriage or any kind of relationship, I think it's very, very healthy <laughs> to go out into the world without the other person. I, I know plenty of people, plenty of my, my female friends who I call up and I say, oh, you know, come to this thing and they have to bring their husbands along or their boyfriends and their boyfriends are miserable, you know, or they, they, they will come and then they'll, they'll take over the conversation to the point where, um, I no longer am visiting with my friend. I'm visiting with her husband. And that's not the type of experience that I had wanted or was inviting. Um, so I think that there are, um, a lot of different ways that we can express solitude that we can express companionship um and I love how Henry gets into um you know listening to the rain and all of these all of these different experiences why should I feel lonely is not our planet in the Milky Way um this question which you put seems to me not to be the most important question what sort of space is that which separates a man from his fellows and makes him solitary? What is this social distancing? Um, what is it um, that brings people together? And what is it that keeps people apart? You know, I found no exertion of the legs that can bring two minds much nearer to one another. What do we want most to dwell near to? Um, you know, he, he's, he's talking about how I think his friendship, his personal friendship and companionship was best expressed when he could go out into the forest um, to walk with someone. And there were very few people he felt that were good enough human companions um, that he felt comfortable walking around with. I think Ellery Channing um, was one of those people that I think he could, he was very close to. Um, Ellery Channing is sort of called one of the transcendentalists. He, he's, um, his writing is not very popular. And I think he, uh, his life choices were a little questionable. He, um, he left his family at some point, um, refusing to support them because he just wanted to run off and be a poet. And then he wasn't even a very good one. So I think that's, that goes into a whole other thing of like, all right, what kind of, you know, life choices is society trying to impose on you, marriage and kids and all that. Um, and how do you respond to that challenge? Um, and do you hurt people um, a as you try to um, decide what's best for your own person? Um, I think it's interesting that Henry never, he never got married, although he, um, he and his brother proposed to the same woman when they were very young. Um, his brother proposed in person and then, and Henry proposed, um, via letter and she rejected them both because they, um, they were transcendentalists essentially. And she's like, my father wants me to marry like a good, a uh, good religious man. And she did. And she had a nice long life. And there was a interview with her at the end of her life. And they're like, you could have married Henry David Thoreau. Do you regret it? And she's like, nope, <laughs> I had plenty of kids and I had a lovely life. 
and uh, I was happy. So again, that's life choices, you know, what do you want to live next to, most close to? Um, you know, these are, these are, and, and he has, I also want to say that there are a lot of quotes, and as I'm reading, I'm trying to consciously put the quotes into a different kind of tone, um, and, and he doesn't always cite where he's getting all of these quotes, um, so I think, yeah, he mentions Confucius, like Confucius says truly, virtue does not remain as an abandoned orphan, we must of necessity have neighbors, so you know that that's a quote, but earlier in the chapter, how vast and profound is the influence of the subtle powers of heaven and of earth, unquote. Quote, we seek to perceive them and we do not see them. We seek to hear them and we do not hear them. Identified with the substance of things, they cannot be separated from them, unquote. Um, and so he has like a, a page of stuff like that. Um, and I'm not sure quite where he's getting those quotes from. Um, and again, this is kind of a plug for any of the annotated uh, versions of Walden. You can find stuff like this online. Um, the Walden Woods Project has um, a very lovely, heavily annotated thing. Um, but I was swimming in Walden the other day uh, with people, and there was uh, a swimmer who was, who was saying that she was trying to get through Walden, and this is one of the great debates. Do you read Walden with an annotated version next to you? or, you know, with the, or with the notes next to you, or do you just read it straight through and try to gather what you can as you're going through it? Um, hopefully this podcast is helpful <laughs> to people, um, because there is just the text and you're welcome to listen to just the text and skip all the commentary I'm offering. Um, you know, or like I'm doing this the way that, um, I think I've said this before, the way that I wish had been um, available for my 14 year old self because I definitely remember picking up Walden knowing that it was significant trying to get through it trying to read it and like I said when, when things feel um, too philosophical or I you know I don't understand the details or the stuff he's referencing or the even the concrete examples um, or you know and also the first, the first chapter is so hard to get through. Economy is, you know, as, as you know, it took up several, several episodes of the podcast. Um, and I felt like such a, I personally felt such a sense of like achievement when I had gotten to the end of that chapter. Um, so do you break up your reading by going into notes to find out the definition of, um, all of the obscure, um, names and to find the sources of all these quotes you're completely welcome to and you know Jeff Kramer works for Walden Woods and he's um, he has an edition that probably is the most um, extensive if you want that um, but again you know just this this is one of those works where you know you like the pond literally just dive in anywhere see what works for you see what you can pull out um, see what appeals to you and I think, and also, so I've worked in theater for years, and I think it's very important that with really good works that you get into them again and again and again, because the first time I feel like you're listening for plot, the second time you hear more stuff about character, 
the third time you begin to notice some details and you notice the things that have been jumping out at you before. Um, the fourth time, you know, you're in familiar territory, you've been here before, you know essentially the lay of the land, and you're, you have a little bit more interest in the details and things that, you know, you had ignored before or feels like you hadn't even heard it. Suddenly new things pop out to you. Um, so I worked at the um, actor's studio for years as a stage manager. Um, and I was often in the room where I was the only like literal, like unknown person and everybody else in the room was a movie star. Um, I worked on Oedipus Rex for two years um, with Al Pacino um, as the king and Estelle Parsons, um, who won an Oscar for Bonnie and Clyde, was the director. And Diane Wiest played Jocasta. Um, David Strathairn, like, uh, the, like the, the grandfather on the Cosby show, like all of these like really, really famous people. And we literally only did a rehearsal version of it because they're actors. And this is like one of the greatest plays. This is like Hamlet. Um, and I think a few people who saw it thought that Al might've been chewing the scenery and whatever, like there are all sorts of reasons why it might not have gone to Broadway. But I would say that we, pref that I, and I, I was probably like literally the only audience member. And this is one of those situations where, you know, I, I'm astounded by the level of education that I was able to get. Um, it was the Yates translation um, from uh, the original Greek um, by Sophocles. And so not only was the original piece so amazing and deep, but hearing it like 40 times over two years, I kept hearing new things in it. And, and, and I would say that's especially true for Shakespeare as well. Um, the more you can hear it because, you know, a lot of it is also formal language, you know, and I think Henry doesn't get into like Emerson, right? Emerson is very formal, abstract, you know, just that, that's just the nature of that kind of writing. And Henry is writing about nature. So he's literally talking about potatoes. He's talking about the rain. He's talking about um, the river and the, you know, the whippoorwills and the loon. Um, and when I swim on Walden, I, there's a loon out there and it's a, it's amazing. It just goes underwater and it pops up and um, comes very close to humans such as myself. Um, for, so, so things like that. But anyway, to wrap up the story about theater, um, the more you can expose yourself to great works and, you know, the more it can break open for you. Um, so if you're into Nietzsche, you know, like read that and just keep focusing on it and really, you know, I know people who read the same book year after year. Um, I know people who read Moby Dick on Herman Melville's birthday, just because they love it so much. And I think that that's, that's another whole book about, you know, delving into details, you know, it's, it's half narrative, half like, you know, biological textbook about whales. Um, and, you know, the, the idea of really wanting to understand everything an author has to say some of it is hard work, but also some of it is just like getting glancing familiarity with it. 
So if you've tried to pick up Walden and you're listening to the podcast and you're like, oh, you know, I'm only doing it half-heartedly because I'm just listening to it. Like, don't worry. Do not make excuses like that. Like you are exposing yourself to a work and the first time, yes, do it superficially. Do it, you know, while you're doing something else, like multitasking or whatever. Um, and if it's something that appeals to you, because I also feel like, I also believe that not every book appeals to every person. Um, but I do know that Walden seems to be this very weird phenomena where people get introduced to it in high school sometimes, not even then sometimes, and they come across it and then it just, it hits them and it draws them in. And it's this, it's this thing that has an amazing kind of pull for people. So yes, do whatever you can to, you know, flirt with it, take this book, open it up, read a paragraph, read a line, read a couple pages, and then put the book down and go for a walk, go for a swim. Like, I I really believe that this is, you know, this is kind of the nature of this book, where part of Henry is is like, yes, I want to be a great writer. I want everybody to understand what it is that I have to say. But essentially, also what he's saying is like, yeah, you're welcome to live exactly the life that you want to live don't listen to me. Don't like, don't follow all of my ideas. Don't like, I'm not trying to be, you know, a cult leader. And, and I think, so getting back to the annual gathering, um, one of the things that usually comes up at least once is how much Henry would probably hate the idea that he's been turned into this figure Um, And sometimes he's stereotyped and sometimes he's, you know, people have him accurately and sometimes people worship him. Um, You know, he said that he hated statues and there's a statue of him um, right in the parking lot of Walden Pond. You know, like he's he's probably like, I'm just this guy. Like, like, I'm glad that you guys like my books, but really, like, I have the oldest author society in America. Really? Like, he would be surprised and probably a little annoyed at us as well. So, um, anyway, so I think I can, I can end on that note. Um, this was a really fun chapter to read and I related to it a lot. I think not just because of COVID, but, um, because I love the idea that you can be so solitary and still connect with a lot of people and, and like I said, while this book is a phenomenon where he's writing it, you know, and these are notes that he made while he was completely alone. And this whole book about him being alone has connected him with thousands, millions of people throughout the world over time. Like that part is just amazing to me. Great. Thank you so much for listening. And I will see you next time. Thank you so much for listening. And as a special added bonus and feature, I would like to announce that I have just launched my website called transcendentalconquered.com. Come and visit and you can see all the other fun stuff I'm doing, including the Transcendentalists 2021 group on Facebook and my YouTube series called Conquered Days, where I have conversations with academics, authors, and uh, museum people to just make sure that we keep the spirit of Conquered alive and to see how people are doing it. 
Thanks a lot. Come check it out.